Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When people say bully, they think, oh, push you against a locker. Yeah. Make you oh, give them the lunch money. Um, we've just ordered food and it's just arrived. We so got mac and cheese take it. and avocados. Yeah. And we're very excited. We'll Not take to get a short it. break and then come back. Yes. You're listening to Feminists Don't Wear Pink, the podcast, based on the book Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies, a collection of writing by 52 women on what feminism means to them. I'm Scarlett Curtis. I'm a writer, activist, journalist, and very, very proud feminist. I'm also the curator of this book and the presenter of the podcast. During this series, I'm going to be talking to a few of the amazing contributors who've written our book to find out how they found their feminism and some of the lies that they've been told about what it means to be a woman. Our guest this week is the fascinating, wonderful, powerful Emily Odessa. Em is an 18-year-old activist who founded a magazine called Teen Eye when she was in high school. I met her during her first week as an intern in New York at Sad Girls Club, and the second we met, I knew she was going to be in my life forever. She is a teenage force to be reckoned with. She hosted a show on Vice where she travelled around the country interviewing young people about politics. Her Instagram is my actual favourite place on the internet, and she talks about feminism, mental health and what it means to be a woman with more fluency and insight than almost anyone I know. I love her with all my heart, and she's the definitive example of the way in which Gen Z are literally going to save the world, so none of us have to worry. We recorded this episode on my bed in a hotel in New York, so the audio isn't perfect, but I hope you like our chat. So I'm here today with Emma Dessa, and we are in my hotel room in my bed um, (laughs) in New York, which is the only place I'd like to be with you. Um, And I love you so much. How are you today? I'm good. I'm so excited to be on this because, first of all, I'm really bad at singing. But I (laughs) like the idea of me being on it, like having people listen to my voice. voice. You have a really great voice and a very distinctive voice. Thank you. Well, everyone I've talked to has been like, well, have you heard Scarlett's podcast? Her voice (laughs) is made for it. Oh, my God. The thing that's so incredible about you is Mm -hmm. you're 18. We met when you were like 16, I think. Yeah, I was young. And you, to me, seemed like, and I talk about this a lot with young girls because it's obviously not everyone, but you, to me, seemed like you had, you understood feminism in a way that I don't, that, like, my teachers at school that are, like, teaching academic, like, graduate level feminist theory don't. Like, it was just, it was almost like it was in your bones and in your blood. Where do you think that came from? I grew up with a lot of physical disabilities. Yeah. And so my parents were always, like, really encouraging and then my sister who was two years older than me was um was in a feminist play when she was 13 Mm -hmm. so she would come home and she would just talk about like all of these things that were happening and I had no idea who Gloria Steinem was or like so I kind of experienced my like first very basic feminist introduction through her it was kind of like 
passed down through me through the water. And I think also just... And would your mom call herself a feminist? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My mom comes from me to all my protests. She, she, um, like, she was like, oh, yeah, like, every year in college, like, I would go on, like, all of these, like, protests to protect abortion laws. And so everyone in my family was kind of talking about feminist activity before mm. I knew it, what it was. But I also just think that um, it was never really... Like, I was like, okay, this is how I'm going to be a feminist. It was more like it was something that I'd been feeling all along, and then I finally got the vocabulary yeah. for it. Do you mind talking about what kind of physical disabilities you have when you're Yeah, um, I think it's called astigmatism, but I had to wear an eye patch oh, from, wow. like, kindergarten to... I don't know the years I wore it, but I had to wear it for a few years. Yeah. I had to get an eye surgery. I also had low muscle tone. Um, so, like, all of those things made it so I stood out. And do you think there was something in that? Because I know, because you obviously, you were saying you were exposed to feminism when you were younger, mm-hmm. but it, it somehow took a hold in you yeah. in a way that it doesn't in everyone that's got a feminist mum. Do you think it was linked to that and what you went through? I don't know. I think it could be. I also think it could be that I was reading a lot of books. Yeah. And I don't know if the books were intrinsically feminist. Like, I know I definitely read some of those, like, very cheesy, like, YA novels. Like, I love a cheesy YA I, No, I love, I am not... <laughs> hating on them but I also do not think they are the most no. like John Green women empowerment stories yeah. um, a lot of Manic Pixie Dream Girls but I yes. read a lot and I think I kind of found a world that I could believe in and I think knowing the ability th- knowing that I had the ability to tell stories mm. and create worlds made me feel very yeah. strong and do you think okay so M has the most incredible Instagram page <laughs> of all time. And uh, she also has a Finsta, which only I follow. Only and, It's only Scarlett. Um, it's one follower. No, it's a few followers, but you're not allowed to follow that. It's <laughs> even better. Um, but sh- you, I always try and kind of explain to people and tell people that teen feminism and teen mm. activism is taking off in a way that I think is extraordinary and very hard for a lot of like older school activists mm-hmm. and feminists to understand fully. Because I think... You know, a lot of people look at social media and go, this is just the Kardashians and mm. girls in bras and pants. And <laughs> I don't understand what it is. Um, and how, when did you first become involved in that? Was it with Teen Eye or were you inspired to make Teen Eye because of something else you were following or looking at? My first ever activism was when I was, I think like four to six and boys were crushing bugs on the playground. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, don't do that. And then my friend and I created a club called Animal Patrol. Amazing. We had a song. <laughs> Do I, now I get my song on Spotify. Yeah. It's Animal Patrol, we love animals. <laughs> and we raised $200 for like little pet shops and like. Amazing. To, and we like, we did a sale at our local train thing. And that's actually how I met my best friend ever. That's so sweet. Yeah, we've been friends for like over 10 years through it. Through Animal Patrol. But my first feminist thing was when. It was 7th or 8th grade, Mm -hmm. the end of school, Mm. 90-something degrees. Can you see where this is going? And we were going in gym class. And my gym teacher, who actually was a woman, and I think it's very interesting that, like, she was the one who was imposing this, Mm. separates the boys and the girls, and she goes, men who run on the track are complaining about you guys being distracting. It wasn't even men who were affiliated with the school. These were grown men who were running on the track during school hours while we were playing baseball. And yet somehow it was your fault. Mm -hmm. 
She said, you guys have to wear longer shorts. And I was like, this is ridiculous. That's it is mad. 90 degrees. Miss blank, name redacted. <laughs> you like cannot actually. And I had just like learned the word rape culture. And I was so not excited to be able to use it, but I'd like, I, yeah, a little bit excited to use you it. You see, and I think that's where it's fascinating because mm. a lot of girls, that would happen to them and they'd go, you know, maybe before social media or before this conversation, they'd go, oh, it's my fault. I need mm-hmm. to cover up. And then that leads to a lifetime of yeah. like blaming yourself. And I know so many women like that. What? So what was it that made you be like, no, this isn't right? It was from social media. Exactly what you were saying. I had read an article a few weeks ago about girls being dress coded at prom. Mm. And this was already when I was on Tumblr and I had seen it reblogged somewhere. And so I learned the vocabulary and I learned that it was wrong. Mm. And then I was able to do it. And we stalled the entire class. Um, we No baseball was played that day. Oh my and gosh. I was, and afterwards, all of the excitement disappeared and I was terrified. Yeah. I thought I was going to get us expelled. Yeah. I have that. You get this huge yeah. wave of being like, fight the power. Yeah. And then it all crashes down. What and if you're the power like, fights me? Yeah. And you're just terrified. Yeah. So how do you push through that? I think... I was gonna say you just focus on like the end goal, but mm. I don't really know if I'm able to apply that. Yeah, I think you have to surround yourself with people who validate you. Because I didn't have anyone mm. who validated me at the time, and I think two years later, when I think I was first able to call myself an activist, it was the Brock Turner. In- Do you remember yeah. the Brock Turner case? Which I think no one talks about enough as the beginning of the Me Too movement. Yes, like I think it all stems Emily from Doe. then. It's also known as the Stanford Stanford rape case. Brock Turner was um, a Stanford swimmer, mm-hmm. a white. Um, he wasn't attractive. A white. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you, Brock. Um, he was like white, very wealthy, and um, was on all of these swimming scholarships. So he was the trifecta. Mm-hmm. And um, trigger warning ahead, he raped a girl, uncon- an unconscious girl behind a dumpster. A dumpster. There were witnesses. Um, and the girl who became known as Emily Doe was, um, wrote this like amazing, beautiful letter about the impact of what he had done. And, um, the court case was just like, I think the first time I absolutely had no faith in the justice system and the first time I realized how much the justice system is not meant to benefit marginalized people. Um, the judge Aaron Persky was awful and basically let... Brock's father say that I think it was 20 minutes of actions aren't worth a yep. lifetime in crime and I was furious about this I was running around my school making everyone sign petitions wow. to recall him I was furious and my three closest guy friends like just made awful jokes about it because they knew it would anger me yeah I left school hysterically crying I told my principal and assistant principal neither of them did anything yep. the boys didn't get suspended and I lost six friends wow and I, for such a long time, I've been so ashamed because I lost the friends. But I also think, ultimately, I'm, it's one of the proudest moments. Yeah. Because it was the first time I, mean, I that, didn't let fear. That's probably why you then got me as a friend. <laughs> <laughs> I won you. Yeah. I was the replacement for those six people. Oh so God. we were talking earlier about, like, bullying for you kind of didn't look like what we think of as yes. bullying. Um, yeah, it was a very close group of six girls, mm-hmm. and I was the seventh. Maybe I was eighth. It doesn't matter. Mm. Um, we were all very close, but I was always the odd one out. Mm. You know, it, they would never... It was just like they would have a party and I'd find out about it through Instagram. Yeah. 
I was always kind of that person in my group. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to, the worst thing they're they like, ever I'm did? in the group, but I'm on the edge of the group. But you're not a part of yeah. it. They keep you in just enough. Yeah. That you're not able to like really yeah. give them concrete action, but it's a lot of microaggressions yeah. and it's a lot of little things. So we were talking off ca- off microphone, I can't say camera, <laughs> about um, academics and how I don't really like theory that much. Mm. The one thing that I loved about theory is I wrote this huge paper on high school girls. Wow. And I remember like the sentence I was most proud of is that they're competing to get higher up on the pedestal. Yes. And I think there's so much jealousy and there's so much fear and all of these girls are so insecure. Yeah. But they don't have the vocabulary for and it. And it comes from the fact we were told there's only one pedestal. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Very well said. Um, I love that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was all of these girls were so intelligent. And I like part of me still does love them a little yeah. bit, even though I'm not really friends with any of them anymore. But, you know, because they were my friends, we had common interests. But then I think there were a lot of things at play that made them feel like they always had to be competing yeah. with each other. And I think that just whenever I would have an accomplishment or want validation, they would attack me instead of making me feel better. And that was really hard to deal with. So we, yeah, because we, I get a lot of girls that I meet at book signings or at mm-hmm. pink protest activities. And we kind of, they say like, I really want to be a feminist and I believe all the things you do, but it's really hard at school. It's really and, hard. But, you know, we get a girl saying, I tried to start a feminist club and I couldn't come to school for a week because we were bullied so bad. And like other girls hating it. And, you know, oh all the God. things that people say about feminism. And it's all fair enough for me who like, I only hang out with feminists and I can yeah. mute the comments on my Instagram. <laughs> but if you have to go into school every day and you're facing that, it's hard. How did you get through that being the feminist that you are? I had really horrible mental illnesses. Mm. I had really extreme depression to the point where every single day when I was walking to school, I would say, I wonder which way, like I can basically kill myself and I never attempted it. But I would see a train and uh, I mean a car passing on the road Mm. and say, if I just jumped on that uh, in front of that, it will all be over. Mm. If I just jumped out this window and I'm I'm really lucky that I never did. Mm. I think I've heard that with mental illness and I think it becomes a weird form of comfort. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but what advice do you think if you now were talking to those girls? Yeah. A girl that wants to start a feminist group but is being bullied. Oh my God. What do you wish someone had said to you? It's This is the hardest four years or yeah. however many years of school you have left. These are the hardest years of your life. There's a really great James Baldwin quote that says, like, the paradox of education is that the more educated you get, in a society, the more you start questioning that society. Yeah. And you can Google the exact quote because I'm probably quoting it wrong. <laughs> but um, that's a quote that helps. Fi- um, my sister gave me great advice and she said, f- separate your social and your academic life. Interesting. School, it's required, unfortunately. There are some good things. You can learn how to use a calculator. Um, you can learn how to write boobs on a calculator. <laughs> 80085. Um, it, it, there are some good things about school, but it's awful. And kids... Even kids who will admire what you're doing and want to support it will feel like they need to say mean things to you. And the only way I know that is because people now that I've graduated high school have come up and told me, That's, like, I've actually wow. supported you. And I was like, you were so mean to me. You're like, that is zero help to me. I was like, you made me. me cry. That helps me in no way. No way. Yeah. Um, it's going to be difficult. And I'm not going to be here and be like, you know, you'll be fine. Just... Keep your chin up because it does suck. And mm. there were years I sat alone. There were years where I cried every morning before school, but just tried to find some community, some media, 
go online, find other people outside of school because this is a community that you've kind of been forced into. Yeah. And you guys have the same age and you guys are in the same location, but you might not have any other Literally, And that's okay. Yeah. And you can find people, especially online, who are like you. I know you're interviewing me, but is there any, was that, that was like a similar experience that you yeah, had, Yeah, right? I had a, ve- yeah, I had a similar experience. I mean, I left school when I was 14, oh so God. I was different just in that I kind of was suddenly like actually physically completely excluded yeah. and I found it very hard to stay close to any of my friends and then I I know and then I did end up going to school where I was bullied mm-hmm. really horrendously and um they they were all on so many drugs and they were trying to buy <laughs> my wee every lunch because they had to have drug tests and they thought they were like you're the only one of us not on drugs <laughs> um and they'd also talk to me like I was really slow because I think I was so quiet anyway they were awful wow. um and now yeah and I think it's just it is that thing of them. like I had other friends online I had mm-hmm. other friends out of school it was exactly what you said it was just a place I went for an hour and a half like mm-hmm. to get through a class you know it wasn't it was not my be all and end all um so another thing an area of activism mm-hmm. we're very invested in yes. is kind of reproductive rights and sex education yeah. and the anti-slut shaming movement and yeah. everything. Um, how did you first get involved with that? Because you're very young to be involved yeah. with that, but I know that's what other people say to you, but I think knowing you, it makes complete yeah. sense. You're allowed to say And it. it's amazing, yeah. And it's like, you, you're close enough that I'm not going to get Yeah, and I, I mean, that's what people are going to say, but I, I think it does make sense. Yeah, so so when did it person. come about? Um, I think the first time was getting dress coded. Mm-hmm. I eventually became the most dress coded girl in my school's wow. history, at least in the like past decade. Um, in my senior year, must have been like at least eleven times wow. where I was pulled out of class. And by the end, I think they were just dress coding me because I was such a controversial figure that they needed some excuse to punish me. Yeah, <laughs> and they were like, "Well, she just did a protest. We can't and we- mind code her, <laughs> so we're gonna dress code her." I, and like, I would do a protest, and the next day, I'd come in, in like a knee-length dress, and they'd be like, "Yep, pull out of class. Wow. You're in trouble." And I was like, "Is that really what the problem is?" <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that I remember very clearly the first time I was called a slut. And my sister was very, her. Um, my sister was in a play called Slut the Play, mm. and she created it. It was about I, she was one of the ten or twelve girls who wrote it, and it was about um, a date rape and the slut shaming that follows it. Yeah. And so I, when uh, I think slut shaming is a very natural, unfortunately, part of growing up and being socialized in yeah. this way. I really don't think boys and girls have any differences besides the way they're socialized. Yeah. And I think that girls are really, and boys are both socialized to really hate femininity especially and sexuality, especially in America. Yeah. Especially where we live in such a puritanical society. So I was, my mom always joked that I would be in a, like, nudist colony when I was older because there was nothing I'd I like to do more that. than just run around the house naked. And people just really don't like, I mean, not that I would go into places naked, that would be a whole different thing, <laughs> but people really don't like when I dress the way I want to. Yeah. So how old were you when you were first called a slut? Sixth grade. I remember the outfit. Wow. I I was so excited. I bought a crop top and I, it came with a tank top under it. I took the tank top off. My Rebel. friends, sur- and it was weird because they were doing it in a very protective way. Yeah. They like It always is that. Me. It's like, I mean, the only, yeah, it's always another, it's often another woman saying, don't yeah. wear that, you'll like a slut. Exactly. Which is mad. That is, so that's exactly what they said. They mm. circled around me. They were like, you can't, they pulled me into the bathroom. And I remember they asked me to wear this like gray cami and it had like a little sports bra in it. And it, it had a oh, hole I in it. I hate those things. And I was like, why would I take off this beautiful, I am 
like I've always my friends always made fun of me because I have a little bit of a belly. Mm. Like I'm definitely I am more skinny, but I've always been very self conscious of my belly. And wearing a crop top actually really empowered me. And all my friends were just horrified, and it made me feel so bad. I I didn't put it on. I don't think wow. I might have. Don't quote me on that. I don't remember what I did. Um, but I remember just feeling so bad about it. And then I just kept on getting dress coded. And yeah. I think that's where I started realizing it. And then I also watched a lot of media mm. where women would um, use their sensuality mm. to get ahead. Yeah. And it was so interesting that women were always being told to be sexual. Yeah. And then when I would be sexual and do it in a way that was beneficial to me yeah. and in ways that I felt good and confident when I was had really, really low confidence and sometimes just like posting a picture where my titties looked really good. Yeah, it's was a one way of, of finding yourself and I think especially... Absolutely. But you're so right. We're told, be sexy, be sexy, be sexy, mm-hmm. be sexy. And the second you're sexy, we're told you're a slut. It's because it's not on... It's because it's on your terms. Yeah. And they don't want it to be on yeah. your terms. Also, another Yeah, because you definitely thing. dress sexually, but not <laughs> What am I a, wearing today? <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I'll do a visual description of them. You're oh, wearing MTD. a bra. Yes. Which is a really beautiful, like, pink velvet bra. Yeah. And then a kind of see-through sequin cami over yes. it. And then a very cute, like, schoolgirl Bakerman yeah. pink skirt. <laughs> Um, and knee socks. And knee socks. And but you look, you look amazing. But you don't look like what you know you'd have seen in like Teen Vogue ten yeah. years ago. Yeah. You know, it's not this kind of like, oh, I'm a sexy young woman. It's mm-hmm. like you're doing it for you, and yeah. you make that very obvious. And I think that's what makes people so uncomfy. Yeah, and it's true because I think some of the drawback is because it's so on my terms. And I I mean, there are days where I wake up and I say, I really like this boy and I want him to think. There was actually one time where a boy that I had a massive crush on told me I was distracting him. And everyone else in the class like turned around and were like, oh, my God, she's going to punch you. But I was so happy about it because I wanted to distract him. I dressed them one. (laughs) I'm wearing my little schoolgirl skirt and like I want you to look at me. Well, so how would you then react? I think this is also where a lot of people get confused Mm -hmm. when they see someone like you who is such a feminist and very involved people yeah but then you're also like no i want to look sexy i want to mm-hmm. attract this man i want to look you know yeah. like a sexy girl how in your head how is how does that fit in with your other feminism i think that autonomy is very much always in one direction yeah. and i think autonomy to not want to have sex and to rebel against that and i think first and second wave feminism especially mm. have done a good job first and second wave feminism a huge part of that end goal was like women aren't just sex objects. Exactly. That's but it. now I do think you represent a new wave of feminism. Mm-hmm. And I think it's happening now. And I think we don't know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And I almost think we're defining it as we go. And maybe it does look like being like, I can be sexy mm-hmm. when I want to be. Yeah. Because you're now very involved in kind of a broader sexual movement. Yes. How... Who are the people that you talk to and work with around those kind of issues? Um, personally, or that I've been inspired by? Both. Um, I actually got to meet one of my very big inspirations, Eileen Kelly, who was killer in a sweet thing, and I met her and I was very mm-hmm. excited. Um, she was like the first, her and Zoe Ligon, Thongria mm. on Instagram, yeah. were the two kind of sex educators where I was like, oh, I can talk about clitoris, clitoris, yeah. clitoris. <laughs> that's cool. I didn't know that could happen. Um, and again, these are two women that are very much 
very sexual, but it's yeah, on their own terms. Exactly. And and they're making it all themselves and they're distributing it themselves, which yes. I think is another thing that Instagram has provided us with. You're not I doing it for someone quote. else. It was a picture. It was there was a picture of like a Venus statue yeah. holding a camera, and it was about selfie culture. And I it was like, that. for all of the history of the world, men have been painting pictures of women and disseminating it as sexual. Yeah. Things. But when a woman takes a selfie, when a woman takes sex into her own hands, it's yeah. seen as something bad. Yeah. Which and is I why think I that's love what taking it is. selfies. I love looking at myself. I have been called so many boys in middle school. There was this boy who I remember him perfectly, um, who followed me like to Hebrew school one day, yeah. and he told me I was an ugly robot who twitches, who no man will ever love. Oh my so if I can actually like get over that and start to love myself, yeah. I got called an ugly, worthless slut, a dumb cunt, so many names that just made me feel like shit. Yeah. I kind of love calling myself a cunt now. My mom's going to be very upset. No, it's this an English okay. podcast. Everyone's <laughs> a cunt all the time. That's true. <laughs> Maybe that's another reason why I should come visit you yeah. in London. Um, but yeah, I if I can actually make myself feel good in a yeah. world that is so actively telling me to not look good, why wouldn't I do it? I think if why any wouldn't I... woman can make that. I yeah. think it's huge. As long as you're not hurting anyone. Yeah. And I think it is different. I think there was this wave of that maybe in the 90s where it was like sexy women in magazines. It was like they're empowered. But mm-hmm. then the magazine's edited by a man. It's yeah. owned by a man. The photographer's male. The stylist is male. Mm-hmm. It's not fully on their own terms. But your Instagram is fully on your own terms. <laughs> like that is not being controlled by anyone yeah. else. So I think things no, are changing and we all have to adapt, but also keep questioning ourselves, yeah. you know. I find it very hard when you're going, well, why am I doing this? Why do I want to look mm-hmm. this way? What, you know, what is it in me that wants yeah. the things I want? But And I think that I've lately had my eye open to another dimension of feminism that I actually think much more feminists should be paying attention mm-hmm. to, which is sex workers' rights. Yeah. So many to talk feminists about are really against sex workers. And I haven't done any sex work, so, you know, my perspective is not nearly as important. I will... If you look on me on Instagram, I will be sharing sex workers that you should follow who mm. are much more qualified to speak on it than I am. One author I love is Charlotte Shane, who wrote Prostitute Laundry and NB and a couple of other books. And I've been like, I actually like wrote her an Instagram fan letter. I love Because that. I was like, I love your literature so much. Stoya, I also read her book, yeah, which I love is really great. Um, so these are women, I mean, explain who these yeah, women are. Yeah, Stoya and Charlotte Shane are both authors and sex workers and also jack the stripper something i need to find more non-white sex workers yeah on instagram i i most of the sex educators and most of the sex workers i follow are white Mm. and are cis and able-bodied and i know there is i need to push myself to find more of them and so accessible yeah i can find them and so what kind of things are these women fighting for? Yeah, well, one of the things that's really awful is SESTA and FOSTA, mm. which are two bills that have been passed, I believe, that basically make it so sex workers cannot talk about their work online. Yeah. Um, it makes it so that the websites that sex workers were posted on will get insane, massive fees um, and will be punished if sex workers do it. And the, and the idea was to, to kind of protect... I mean, trafficking victims. Yeah. What they don't understand is consent. And I think consent, because, yes, there are people who will be trafficked. Yeah. There are people who will have to do sex work against their consent. But a lot of sex workers are doing it because they want to do it. Yeah. And a lot of sex, and every person who calls themselves a sex worker is doing it because they are, it is their autonomy. Yeah. And I think that um, there are different reasons that people get into sex work. And, but the thing is, 
It's so interesting that people hold sex workers to such a high standard. I just remembered another one I love who's Tilly Lawless. Okay. And then her at a girls' talk event. She was speaking there. She flew in from Australia. Wow. I know um, Adwa is also... Adwa's in the book and she's amazing. Yes. And a hero of us. Something I'm really fascinated by is that mm-hmm. you you talk about sex workers, you talk about race, you talk about gender, mm-hmm. you talk about trans, you talk about all these issues mm-hmm. with such fluency and eloquence and I think there's becoming this cliche of young people that we like you know oh all of them with their pronouns and they you know what's this and what's this and yeah and actually it's not a cliche it, it mm-hmm. just is it is who you are and it is yeah. how you are and it's a lot of how a lot of your friends are what advice would you give someone that was older but kind of wanted to understand this or more wanted to expose themselves to the kind of people mm-hmm. you hang out with and now yeah. are friends with and work with and mm-hmm. all these issues that you're talking about that seem so because it seems very natural to you but mm-hmm. i bet a lot of people listening to this will be hearing you talk about sex workers and their minds will be blown you yeah know? It, these issues when you first hear them are scary and new mm-hmm. well actually something like what you are reminding me of is this instance in junior year mm. we were reading a um, song of solomon by tony morrison which is one of the best books I've read but I also feel like I have to read it in a classroom because it's so thick with like literary gems that I want someone to help me analyze it but we're reading that book and um without giving any spoilers it's a book about um black people in the 50s and their response to uh, black people in America and their response to like racism and murder Mm -hmm. and all of that thing that has been happening in a very long time mm. in our country. Um, but yeah, so there's a character, Guitar. Have you read the book? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, sorry. So Guitar yeah. takes a very controversial method to respond to these killings of yeah. people like Emmett Till. And everyone in my classroom was just like, oh, this is reverse racism. And I very, and I, Interesting. I was like, yeah, well, and I was like, I was saying another point yeah. that I didn't mention. I was like, yeah, well, it's not, rever- you know, there's no such thing as reverse racism and tried to get on with my sentence, but people freaked out. Yeah, People are so quick to center themselves in other people's oppression. And I think it's hard not to, like, I always yeah. say no one was born woke and no, like, exactly. you don't come out the womb understanding these things, yeah. but it is, I think your generation are realizing and my generation we're the same generation um we're realizing it's easier to educate ourselves and Mm -hmm. change our minds than i think we thought it was so being in the 97 percent white school i did not have a lot of exposure so you know Mm. i literally went on instagram and i was like there aren't a lot of asian girls that i know and i wanted to learn more about the asian experience and followed asian girls united or i was like there's not a lot of blank a lot of people are scared of i think a lot of people are scared to say oh wait I don't follow any black sex workers I should find someone yeah because just that language and you feel like is they're like is that racist just to say that I don't know any Asian people don't want to say the word black yeah they they always say African American and I'm like the person you're talking about is neither African or American people sometimes say that in England which is bad (laughs) they're like this African American woman on the BBC and I'm like no she's English just from (laughs) Manchester nothing to do with Africa or American yeah and it's, um yeah but i i think language. you're right so even just now like what are some accounts that you follow or some like genres of accounts that you follow yeah i i think like 80 percent of my instagram following is like feminist activism yeah. accounts mine is feminist activists and cats yeah yeah, yeah i don't follow a lot of cats and follow pasta accounts. miniature accounts do you follow Ooh, them like have you seen the videos um where they're making yeah, like a, making a the breakfast omelette. Then also just like building tiny dolls' houses, building tiny weird like it's Japanese. Great. It's just my, it's so calming. Um, and pimple poppers. Oh, I love yeah, those, I love the really poppers. big ones. Yeah. They kind of scare me to look at. Oh, I love it. 
but because you're not supposed to like really pick at your skin yeah but she's such she's a you know she's a doctor she, yeah she's a dermatologist she knows what she's doing bumper, yeah. can i grab my phone and look at who i'm following yes I'm, you I'm can blanking out this is like when someone asks you what your favorite music is oh and my you god don't know i know and i'm like um uh, i don't know uh, i know as soon, okay, i know that if i don't do this i'm gonna be looking at my phone afterwards and being be like damn how did i, I not sit but now Always. i have no excuse go for it like one of my friends um fab Bengali son on Instagram. Mm, she's Talks, amazing. Do you know her? I love her. I met her at a Sargos Club. Then. Oh, my, oh, yeah. That was the first time we met. Yeah. Um, she talks a lot about the South Asian experience as a fat woman. Yeah. And works really hard to do work not only in her own community, but also for everyone and really tries to educate people. Another person I love. And is, I think, can I just say, yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. amazing because I think there's definitely, it's very true that you shouldn't be asking minorities mm-hmm. how to treat yeah. them you know you shouldn't ask black people how not to be racist uh-huh. you shouldn't ask women how not to be sexist exactly. but it's an incredible service when someone mm-hmm. opens themselves up to that and says like charlie craggs who's mm-hmm. in the book and oh, says amazing. like i'm gonna take this one for the team and yeah. i will answer your annoying it's questions labor. Yeah. And, and she does that amazingly another mm. person i love is rachel cargill oh i don't know her she is um a black educator who, when you said people who provide a service, yeah, I think it's a lot of emotional labor. Shishi Rose is another one. Both Shishi Rose and Rachel Cargill talk about race in ways that um, are it's difficult for them because they mm-hmm. have to constantly be discussing their trauma. And I think yeah. to be able to unleash that on Instagram when you have so many people on Instagram who will see, oh, it's a it's a blank account. I'm gonna yeah. just say what because you had this on the feminist account. You yeah. have people being like, Can I speak to the man? Can I speak to the man in charge? Make me a sandwich. <laughs> um we had to ban the words kitchen and sandwich from That's our Instagram so comments. Funny. But it's also sometimes even the the well meaning questions are are emotionally draining. Yeah. Um, another one I love is my friend Sydney, who is a non-binary activist who um, talks about their experience with tick-borne illnesses. They have Lyme. Yes, I follow them. They're oh, you amazing. Do? Have yeah. you met them? I don't think you guys so. both have colored hair, so mm. that's like <laughs> that's like when people like meet like a gay person. They're like, "Oh, do you know my other friend? Oh, gay. yeah, it's a super club. Like yeah. I see people in the tube, and I'm like, mm, "All right, we can in relate. the club." Yeah. Um, yeah, I, Girl Power Supply is another good one. Yeah. Uh, Jen is really unique in the way that she posts very openly about unlearning her privilege and i appreciate that she also put mm. meme girl club oh and then also sad girls club i feel like yeah. i should talk about sad <laughs> girls club i mean at least probably covered it a little yeah. bit but um i am the executive assistant for sad girls club which is a mental health nonprofit that works to destigmatize mental illness i do about 80 percent of the posts on there of recent Lee, does it ever get too much? Do you ever feel overwhelmed <laughs> by it all? Do you ever feel like I don't want to be this social justice warrior? I just want to be M. I was talking to my mom about this because I've been. This is the only obligation I've had this week that I did not cancel, and that's also because I don't see this as an obligation. I and see that's this as an excuse to fine. catch up with you with you the microphone in my hand. Everything. I'm never canceling this. Yeah, I've been but I cancel. I cancel everything. <laughs> um, I'm so. I when you when I got the email, I was jumping up and down a little bit but um yeah I was talking to my mom about this and I was like I am exhausted I've been doing so much coverage and Mm. so much um there's a Mitski song where she's like I gave too much of my heart tonight can you help me like get it back or something like that yeah Mitski is like my patron saint Mm. and I would die for her yeah so the first time I ever really was I think got 
permission to be angry and exhausted was mm. through Bikini Kill and through the Riot Girl movement. And there was a year where I only listened to like Kathleen Hanna say things like, I'm sorry if I'm alienating you. Your culture is alienating me. I love that. I was like, yes. When you're fighting in a world that is so stacked against you, there are times where you are going to be angry mm. and frustrated and just be like, why the fuck am I putting in the effort? Yeah. How do you look after yourself? I I, last night I played The Sims. Sometimes you have to exit the world. Yeah, and that's what games are for me. Like yeah. genuinely, seriously, games and audiobooks is how I zone out. I kind of wished I was a little bit of like a gamer. This fight has been going on for a very long time. Mm. Me stepping out of it for two minutes or two days or two months. Because I completely agree. And I always say, if you are burning out, you're going to be so much less used to ever. Exactly. There's yeah. that quote that's, um, you can't set yourself on fire to keep others warm. I love that. <laughs> um, okay, so my last question oh, is... No. I know. I will get you back, don't worry. My last question is, what is one lie you've been told about what it means to be a woman? That being a woman is different than being a man. Wow. Because I, I, this is what I... Um, I think that... What I said earlier about how I don't think men and women are very different, I think there are like probably scientifically some differences of being male and female besides genitalia. Mm. But I think that's so much... The binary has only existed for a very recent period of time. Mm. My history teacher got very angry at me because I, he was like, he was saying he was very Islamophobic and very awful and homophobic. And he was like trying to talk about how all Muslim women are oppressed. And I was like, um, and like talking about how like they are the ones who like uphold awful gender roles. And I was like, well, you know that the binary was really only introduced by like Christian Mm. colonizers in like the last hundred years something years or so my hijabi friends are like some of the most badass feminists yeah, i know no, because completely. they and the history of the islamic yeah. feminist movement is amazing oh my god um wait back the to first the university lie. first lie i feel thank you for keeping <laughs> on track. um i think that we are socialized to feel like there are so many things and and i think i think women and men are very different but i don't think they would be if we lived in a world without yeah. the patriarchy and the patriarchy is a pretty difficult thing to overcome but I think that you can separate masculinity and femininity are both wonderful things and there's this book about tarot I think it's called like WTF is tarot or something <laughs> it has a, it's a wonderful book with a very millennial title that like. um, and she basically breaks down the like strengths and weaknesses of masculinity and femininity apart from gender yeah just like just masculinity and just femininity and I, I think everyone has a mix of those two, and I think... To, and they both have, I'd say, equal strengths and equal weaknesses. Yeah, and femininity is typically perceived as, like, less powerful, but mm-hmm. I think to you, I think it's really important to take a step back yeah. and understand all of that. And I also think that women should be whatever the fuck they want to be, as long as it's not a fucking Nazi <laughs> or, like, a KKK woman or someone who, or Ann Coulter. As long as, as, long as you're not ha- one of those three things. As long as it's not hurting anyone else. Yeah. I think it's a pretty good. And I think if I could leave the listeners with anything, it would to be do something you're scared of and do something that you feel like you have, you aren't allowed to do. I love that. And I love you so much. And you I give me you. so much hope for the future. You really are even one of my favorite people. Like, 
I, this whole you guys can't see, but the whole time I've been looking looking at you with just absolute hard me eyes, just too. being like, looking. we're also in a perfect hotel room for this. Yeah, podcast. we're in a pink hotel room. It is fully pink with my teddy bear. Um, okay, I love you. We'll leave all the links to the people you mentioned in the description of this episode, and everyone follow at Emily Odessa. Emily Odessa, O D E. Okay, and yeah, she's incredible, and I love you. And bye, bye. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you've enjoyed it, or even if you didn't, we'd love to hear from you. So make sure you subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies, published by Penguin Random House, is available to buy now via the link in the description of this episode. All of the royalties from each book sold go to the amazing UN organisation Girl Up, who is supporting girls across the world. For more information and to join our gang, please follow us on Instagram at, at feminists. Thank you so much to Audio Boom for helping us get it out there and to the wonderful pink feminists who've joined us as guests. I used to speak, I don't know if you've ever done this, but really high and really quietly. Oh. And I think it's like a defense thing. Yeah. I spent half my life with no one hearing anything I say. <laughs> like so much gold has come mm-hmm. out of my mouth that has gone unheard because I like spoke quietly so quietly faded yeah. into the wind I've been the opposite everyone's like you're too loud um yeah so together we Grace make like, like the perfect volume the perfect mix um so Hello. you are why don't you